you know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter or or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. You got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, If you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, look, I don't know about you, but when I hold on to some negative feelings, it really starts to impact my day to day. Mm. I get a little snippy and short with the people in my life. Things start to really feel overwhelming. And look, it's just generally not great for me or for the people that I am interacting with. And I do find that my time in therapy is a real safe space to get those things off my chest and figure out how to work on and work through things that are weighing on me Mm. or maybe weighing on you. For example, like I have actually really been working on mindfulness in therapy. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Easier said than done, but that's the work, right? Like just learning about kind of like really creating a breathing practice and paying attention to my physical body and my feelings Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and to learn productive coping skills. If you're thinking about trying therapy, try BetterHelp. It's convenient and accessible anywhere because it is 100% online. All it takes to get started is filling out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you're not vibing with the therapist, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Forever35 today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Forever35.
Welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I'm Kate Spencer. And I'm Dori Shafrir. And today we are doing something a little different because we want to both offer our support to our Black listeners. And we also want to use our platform to discuss tangible ways we're committing in the long term to anti-racism and supporting Black organizations and businesses. Um, I wanted to share a quote that I read last week that really resonated with me. It's by Sonia Renee Taylor. And it says, or she says, self-care that cannot be bothered with justice is just privilege. And that really uh, hit a chord for me. And, you know, we have been thinking like, uh, hopefully all of you about how we can work harder at our own anti-racism, both in our own lives and on our podcasting platform, and how we can really hold space for Black people without centering ourselves. And mm-hmm. um, over the, this has been an ongoing conversation for us um, since starting this podcast, but most definitely, especially in the last week, we have really been reflecting on the work we haven't done and the work we need to do and how we're going to rectify that. So today we want to share some actions we're taking, some places we have donated to, um, companies and people we are following and supporting. And then we are going to be replaying our interview from November 2019 with Ijoma Aluo, who's the author of So You Want to Talk About Race. Yes. Um, So to start, we wanted to let everyone know that we've donated $1,000 to each of the following five organizations. And we will link to all of these organizations in the show notes. Um, it's We're donating to Campaign Zero, um, which is an organization that is committed to um, ending police violence in America. Uh, Black Lives Matter, um, which is committed to supporting freedom, liberation, and justice, uh, sustainable transformation in black communities, um, defunding police, and more. Um, The Bail Project, which helps uh, bail people out of jail and fights against the racist and unjust system that is the bail system, the cash bail system. Uh, The Loveland Foundation, which is an organization devoted to a focus on black women and girls um, and kind of showing up for them. They have a therapy fund and a lot of other ways that they support um, black women and girls in particular. And finally, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, um, which provides legal services for um, people who cannot afford them. And we encourage you to also donate to these organizations or other organizations that are doing similar work um, at whatever amount you are able to. Yes. Um, And so we're going to just check in with each other a little bit about some things that we have been doing, thinking about, um, reflecting on things we hope to do and hope to change in our own practices and go from there. Sound good, Dory? That sounds great, Kate. Okay. Um, The first thing I wanted to share 
was a list of questions. I'm not going to share the list, but I will. We will be linking to it in um, show notes and also in the episode post on our website, forever35podcast.com. Past Forever 35 guest Chrissy King posed a really powerful set of questions to her non-Black followers on Instagram. Um, And I am a non-Black follower. And I found it... um, it's something I've just been reflecting on for the last 24 hours or so. And I just wanted to bring up the first three questions that she asked, because these are, these are the question. The whole list is stuff that I am sitting with. Um, but I, I want to start with these three. How am I showing up the other 360 days of the year? How am I showing up for black people day in and day out? And how am I examining the ways I am complicit every day? And, that is something uh, I mean that is something i I think I need to be looking at. I need to write that down and look at every day to make sure these are things I am reflecting on and focusing on um and so one thing I did do that I wanted to share as a suggestion for anyone who might be inspired to do it is that going forward, I am making sure I am paying uh the black people who educate me on social media. Um, I have spent a lot of time learning about anti-racism from many amazing people and never really acknowledging the fact that it is, um, that it is their, it is labor that I should be compensating them for. So I have gone and I've started to go through a lot of people who I follow, who I have turned to, to learn from who I've, you know, read their posts, who I have felt like I've gotten something from their work, um, have been educated by them, continued to be, uh, and started supporting their Patreons, which is something I had not done. And I think in this like process, um, Dory, of really tapping into what it means to be anti-racist is recognizing that as a white person, I'm going to make mistakes and 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 look looking at the ways in which I am complicit and in making these mistakes and so this feels like a big thing that I should have done that I haven't done and so it's something I'm really committing to doing so today I went through and started making sure I was properly compensating the people whose work I really value and has educated me so if anyone is inspired, I would encourage you, to, and you can, I would encourage you to do the same. One thing I, that I noticed that was really cool is a lot of um, people have $1 levels on their Patreon, so it really makes it accessible. Um, a few of the people for today that I uh, started making sure I am a, a patron of, um, Nicole Cardoza, who is just a really amazing entrepreneur and yoga teacher and educator. Um, Aja Barber, who writes about intersectionality in fashion and sustainable fashion. Um, Rachel Cargill, who's an amazing activist and educator. And uh, The Conscious Kid, which is an Instagram that I followed that I really was like, oh, this is a great Instagram. Uh, re re put it in my stories, but never really spend time like sitting and looking at who was behind it and and realizing that they have ways of you, you being able to pay them for their work. So I am taking my time to make sure I'm going through my different feeds and different places where I, 
where I really learn from the people who are putting work out there into the world and making sure I am compensating um, them for their work. Yeah, and I also... So I I also started supporting Rachel Cargill on Patreon. Um, she has some really great resources on there. Her Patreon is called The Great Unlearning. Um, and she's a, she's a lot of really, really good stuff on there. So I would suggest even if you don't want to support her on Patreon, that you, that you check out um, her work. Um, and I also, you know, I think there's often people that, we follow on Twitter who we are learning from, and a lot of them have links to their Cash App or their PayPal or their Venmo in their Twitter bios. And if you feel like you have learned something from them, give them some money. Um, I've done this a few times with different people who I realize, like, oh, I am following along these threads and learning so much from this person and like who cares if it's not in an article in the Atlantic like I'm still learning a lot from them and they deserve to be compensated for their labor so Kate I'm really glad you brought that up I think that's really important and I also want to touch on something that you mentioned which is how am I showing up the other 360 days of the year which mm. uh, Chrissy King said and this is something I've been thinking about a lot because I think that there is this tendency among non-black people to whenever there is a crisis mo to mobilize, right? Like we, and I, I do this too, like post donation links on my Instagram and post, you know, quotes about social justice and anti-police brutality and, you know, just get very worked up. And then the, immediate crisis passes and I kind of go back to my regular life. Right. And right. I mean, that's I what think the sorry, idea. No, it's okay. I just think like we need to really question that impulse and interrogate it and say, why am I only thinking about anti-racism in times of crisis? Mm. Because it's not, it is, it is a crisis for black people every day. And we have the privilege of it not being a crisis for us every day. Yeah. And so, you know, I think these words are really powerful. And I think what you and I are both committing to is saying, like, we are going to be thinking about this every day. And how can we think about this every day? And because we are also in a position to be able to support organizations and people and companies financially, we need to do that. And so that's kind of what we're saying right now yes and, and what you know you and i are we're here recording a podcast but the honestly the bulk of the work we do on the show happens to actually be off the air which is kind of strange but um i think you and i are going to be and have already started really setting up ways to reflect and then enact tangible change um mm -hmm. in ways in which we try to keep learning and keep um, making sure that we are using this podcast in a way that um, reflects these values. Yeah. And so to that end, um, <clears throat> excuse me, to that end, we have decided that we are going to come up with some very tangible and specific goals um, related to anti-racist work and supporting black creators, black businesses, black organizations. Um, we're still kind of figuring all this out. Um, and so I anticipate we will be able to announce 
a concrete plan within the next couple of weeks. Um, but in the meantime, we wanted to talk about some of the things that we're doing. And we also wanted to highlight some um, black owned beauty, skincare and wellness businesses, because I think on the show, one of the things that we haven't done a good enough job of is spending money and publicizing the work of black owned beauty businesses. Um, And there's a lot of really amazing ones out there. So we put together a list and again, we will, we will link to these um, in the show notes on our website. We encourage you to patronize these companies. um, And yeah, so here are a few that we have highlighted. And I also want to shout out, there's a very helpful thread on Fat Mascara's Facebook group um, that asked for recommendations of Black-owned beauty businesses. And I learned a lot there. And I also learned a lot from Cosmopolitan Beauty Director Julie Wilson's Instagram. She has a couple of highlights in her Instagram stories of Black-owned businesses uh, that I highly recommend you check out. And again, we will also link to that. Um, Okay. So in the kind of skincare slash wellness category, we have a company called Honeypot, which offers pads, tampons, wipes, etc. All natural. They look amazing. Um, A company called Black Girl Sunscreen, which is they, call, they say it's sunscreen made by women of color for people of color because we get sunburned too. And it's sunscreen that dries clear. And um, I think it's SPF 30. And again, you know, cruelty-free, um, all-natural, moisturizing, etc. Um, a company called Clure, which is this super luxurious seeming botanical based skincare and self-care products from a woman who is trained as an esthetician and former forever 35 guest Brooke DeVard, the host of naked beauty loves their body oil. So I have ordered some and I'm going to try it for myself. I'm very excited. It seems amazing. Um, Hana Hana Beauty, which is a wellness and skincare brand that pays double the fair trade rate for shea butter from Ghana. And they have shea butter in a vanilla scent, uh, vanilla lavender, I think, uh, a eucalyptus scent. And I think they have a vanilla amber scent as well, mm. um, which sounds great. Oh, and they have an, they've unscented. Um, unscented shea butter too, and lemongrass. So I ordered some eucalyptus shea body butter because eucalyptus just makes me feel like I'm at a spa. It's a delicious smell. It's such a great smell. It is a great smell. I'm really, really looking forward to getting that shea butter. Um, Company called Gold with an E, which has superfood-based latte blends and face masks. Kate, I feel like you would get into some of their products. Yeah, I actually was I was already, <laughs> I was already looking and putting things into a cart. I have your number. You do. I appreciate that you truly know me and that means a lot. Means a lot. Uh, I mean this this cacao turmeric latte blend just sounds really good. Yeah, that sounds like heaven. Right? 
it's it's a it's basically hot chocolate but has turmeric in it and other good things for you and this company also makes um face masks this is like my combination of two my two I know. favorite things <laughs> i know <laughs> um okay for anyone um male identified in your life there's a company called bevel that makes men's grooming products they have a um a beard trimmer they have razors they have shaving cream they have hair grooming products um they have safety razors they have a whole shave system um so just like a lot of a lot of great stuff for men um and it and it all looks very like sleek um so i know sometimes men are uh hesitant about skincare and you know grooming products uh but i think these are these are worth checking out for sure mm-hmm. um okay this next company is called beneath your mask and everything seemed amazing <laughs> um, so they have so they're like their signature product is uh, the um heel whipped skin souffle it's a body lotion it, it won the 20 it was a 2019 allure best of beauty winner mm. and i have ordered some it promises to leave my skin feeling soothed, deeply hydrated, and pampered. So, I'm excited it's, about that. And it's it's all the freeze. It's vegan, cruelty free, gluten free, yes, GMO free, totally. free. Yeah, and phosphate, then I also I also got their polish detoxifying body scrub. And I I will tell you, I am not a huge body scrub person. Like I feel like they're they're one of those things that like. I'm often gifted and I, and like, I don't use them, but this one seemed amazing. And one of the reasons that I was intrigued is it says for maximum exfoliation, apply to dry skin Mm. and massage over the entire body in circular motions. And then you rinse and then you pat the skin dry and then you follow it up with their, with their whipped skin souffle. With the souffle. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Exactly. But I was like, Oh, Okay. I can't like, I don't know. Maybe it's just something about like getting in the shower and putting on body scrubs that I, I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm intrigued to try this. It also um, says that it's good for eczema and psoriasis and I have eczema and I also have um, keratosis. Pul- pul- KP. I have KP. KP. That's <laughs> um, the easier. On, on my arms. And so I'm, uh, cautiously optimistic that this will help and then there is the black and green marketplace which is a beauty and wellness marketplace featuring products made by black artisans and it was founded by forever 35 guest dr Kristen henderson um and they just have some amazing products and a lot of products by smaller companies that you might not be able to find anywhere else okay those are my skincare and wellness recs. Can we move on to makeup? Yes, I'm I'm right here with you. Okay, great. <laughs> following along eagerly. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure. Um, okay, this first one is is she's a she's a titan of the of the makeup 
art. She's a, she's a makeup artist Titan. Pat McGrath. Um, so she has her line, Pat McGrath Labs, which is her makeup line. And I mean, her stuff is just it's great. so good. Yeah. She's so good. And one of the things that I love about her line is that she doesn't offer a ton of products. Um, but you know that everything she offers is amazing. And her packaging is so cool. And I'm just like... Her palettes. Big, her palettes. Like everything is is so, so, so cool. So... And like such good quality. So Pat McGrath. Um, okay. Another company called Beauty Bakery. And they spell that uh, bakery with an I-E. Um, and they're another makeup company. And their stuff is so cute. It's like everything is like desserty. <laughs> um, so like their lipsticks are cake pop lippies. And their lip gloss is creme lip whips um and then they have like stuff in the shape of an ice cream sandwich and like it's everything is really cute um and they have a ton of different shades and some really nice palettes and um yeah their stuff just like seems really really nice okay moving on to a company called the lip bar um I I love a kit, I have to say. Did <laughs> you buy they, their kit? I did buy their kit. They have a fast face kit, um, which has like the six products that you need to put on your beautifully made up face. So it comes with foundation, a face quad, brow, like a brow liner, an eyeliner, mascara, and a lipstick, and also comes with a brush. And they have it for different skin shades. And you can take a quiz on their site to determine your correct shade. And then like within the kit, you have some other options. Like you choose your lipstick shade. You choose your brow liner shade. Um, and it's $99, which for like six products seem great. Yeah. Very reasonable to me. Um, and so they are sold at Target lip bar yes they're sold at target and i believe they also have a store yes they have a flagship store um in detroit and so if you're in detroit when things reopen um you can book a makeup appointment you can have a birthday party Mm. there you can kind of do all sorts of fun things at their at their flagship store um okay Next company is called Oma, and it's that's U O M A Beauty, uh, and they have one of the things they're known for. They have foundation with like a huge range of shades, and they also have gorgeous lipsticks. Um, so I highly suggest checking them out. Um, I also love their packaging, and they also have some really really nice palettes and. Uh, they have 51 foundation shades. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Their lipsticks yeah. are, are look amazing. Don't they look amazing? Yeah. They're yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, their stuff just looks so nice. Okay. This next one is another one that... So 
This one is Danessa Myrick's Beauty, and this is a makeup artist-founded artisanal makeup line known for its ColorFix products. And ColorFix is a hybrid cream color and extreme long-wearing paint that can be safely used as complexion on the lips, eyes, and cheeks. I will admit, I was a little intimidated by uh, this this company. Like, everything looks amazing and very like professional um they have color fix foils which are in these like shiny kind of glittery colors and i was just like i feel like i need a tutorial to use these products they look so nice um so i do i plan on ordering something from them um i just i feel like i need to like do some more education some makeup education they have loose pigment on their site like loose glitter and metals it's so yes they have they have all this really cool stuff they have um they have stuff that you can use to like make your uh powder eyeshadow creamy like they just have all this like very professional stuff um that I really want to try, but I also feel a little intimidated by to be, to be perfect. I, I want to be perfectly honest about that. <laughs> um, like, I feel like this is like a level higher of makeup knowledge than I have. Well, Dory, I believe that you can get there. <laughs> I think I can get there. I think I can get there. Um, okay. Next company is called Mented Cosmetics. They are especially known for their semi-matte lipsticks. And they also offer a lip kit, which is three lipsticks for $45, which, again, pretty good deal. Um, And their stuff also looks very nice. Um, Okay. The next company is called Pear Nova, which is cruelty-free nail care. And they also offer gel nail polish. So if you do at-home gels, you can get their polish um and all of their stuff is cruelty free and um vegan and 10 free you know free of all the nasty stuff that is in a lot of nail polishes um five i think some of them are five free some of them are 10 free and then they also have a salon in chicago so again if, if you're in chicago and you and when things reopen, you can check them out. And then, of course, no list of Black-owned makeup companies would be complete without mentioning Fenty. You got to mention Fenty. Got to mention Fenty. I mean, I love Fenty. I think you love Fenty, too. Don't I don't want to speak for you, but I think no, you do. No, no, you can in this <laughs> regard. Yes, I do really. Everything I've tried from their line is amazing. Yes, it's just gorgeous. It, it's like gorgeous. It's long lasting. So gorgeous. Um, okay, and then there were a few hair companies that I also just wanted to shout out. Um, the first one is called Brio Geo. Mm, I like their stuff. Yeah, their stuff is so nice. Um, Cruelty free natural hair care products um, for all different hair textures, and um, they have like hair repair oils uh they have scalp revival exfoliating shampoo 
um, masks for your hair. Their, their stuff is really nice. And it they have no sulfates, silicones, parabens, phthalates, DEA, artificial dyes. Like it's all super clean and natural. Um, okay. Another company is called TGIN, which stands for Thank God It's Natural, which has natural hair care products that are geared more towards curly haired. Um, I think it's more geared towards black women and curly haired people. Um, their stuff looks, looks really, really nice. And I believe they also have a shop. Although I might be, I might be wrong about that. Um, but yeah, you can find their stuff at, Oh yeah, no, they do have a shop. They have a shop in Chicago, in Chicago. Um, and you can find their stuff nationwide as well. Um, and then, okay. The final company I just want to mention is called Miel Organics. And they also have just a ton of all natural stuff, mostly geared towards, um, black women. Um, that just, seems really nice. And I think they do a lot of work in the community and um, just seem great. And then I also want to mention that the company Carol's Daughter, which comes up a lot um, on, you know, when people are talking about black owned beauty companies, they were bought by L'Oreal in 2014. So they are no longer black owned. Um, They are a black founded company. Um, So I'm like including them with an asterisk, I guess. And then you mentioned cosmopolitan beauty director julie wilson her instagram is a good resource for other black owned beauty businesses is that right yes i mentioned her at the beginning of um, the conversation um yeah her instagram is great and she currently has a highlight of a ton of black owned beauty businesses and like clothing businesses um and some other some other companies. So yeah, so that is just kind of, I feel like I'm just sort of scratching the surface here. And I'd love to hear if listeners have favorite black owned beauty and wellness businesses. And I would love to buy from them and mention them on the podcast. Um, And then sort of along those lines, we're also curious about who your favorite black influencers, podcasters um, in this space are. We want to talk to them we want to elevate their voices um and yeah we just love to hear who you all are following listening to reading etc yeah and you know we had gone back and forth on whether or not we should do an intention to at the end of this episode um and what it would even be but i think that this is an intention for us that is um lifelong right dory like yes. this is a this can this is a permanent intention that we are uh focused on and determined to do the work and stick with it yeah all right well let's take a short break and then i'm so i'm excited that we're re-airing this interview with Ajoma. it is really it's like one of the interviews that has like really really stuck with me since we did it Yes. And if you have not yet read So You Want to Talk About Race, please, please, please pick it up and read it front to back. It's fantastic. It's so good. Okay. We'll be right back. Hold up. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually... Actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. Quince. But it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from Quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking, I'm going to toot my own horn, effortlessly chic. Whether it's winter or or summer, they've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14-karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. It's happening so fast. It is. And I feel like also with summer just come more social events. There's weddings, there's nights out, it's vacations. I mean, like all the things happening in summer. And what I love is that Honey Love has just the right thing for all those events. Feel comfortable and confident this summer with Honey Love's best-selling superpower short. The Superpower Short Smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing as we speak. I wear that thing every day. I do too. Uh, It's my favorite Honey Love piece. Let Let me just tell you why. Yeah, get into okay, it. Okay, do you want to tell me why? <laughs> no, no, I was just going to say, like, I, I I, don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it, like, the event is every day of my life. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires. And just like sidebar, I have put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, oh, God, like, get this off of me. <laughs> 
no thank once you. you once you start wearing honey love you're just like no not yep. going back you see also, how it like, could be yes also like summer sweat under those underwires it's like ugh, the worst now you don't have to worry about it get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market save 20 percent off at honeylove.com slash forever Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic, intelligent people on this podcast, but I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I'd love to go deeper. We like to go deep, and that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish on Masterclass. Every year, I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like, I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass, but this year, I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 Lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now, they dissect issues women face in the U.S. and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college. So this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm hearing those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes, Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be redefining feminism with Gloria Steinem. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss or think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins, Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. Our guest today is Ijoma Aluo. Welcome, Ijoma. Hi. Hi. We're so glad to have you. I'm happy to be here. Um, Ijoma Aluo is a Seattle-based writer, speaker, and internet yeller. Her work on social issues such as race and gender has been published in The Guardian, The Stranger, Washington Post, Elle Magazine, NBC News, and more. And her New York Times bestselling first book, So You Want to Talk About Race, was released in January 2018 with Seal Press. Ijoma was named one of the most influential people in Seattle by Seattle Magazine, one of the 50 most influential women in Seattle by Seattle Met, one of the Roots' 100 most influential Americans in 2017 and 2018, and is the recipi- recipient of the Feminist Humanist Award 2018 by the American Humanist Association, the Media Justice Award by the Gender Justice League, and the 2018 Aubrey Davis Visionary Leadership Award by the Equal Opportunity Institute. 
And we are so excited to have her here to talk about her book and about self-care. And yeah, um, so let's let's get into it. Um, can we start, um, Ijoma, just for listeners who aren't familiar with your book, can you, and Dory and I have both read it, can you tell us, um, kind of uh, tell us generally about what it is and also kind of what your experience has been since publishing it? Obviously, it's a New York Times bestseller, which is amazing. Um, and I'd love to hear just kind of what it has been like uh, since it came out for you. Sure. Um, the book is called, So You Want to Talk About Race. So it's, it's, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's a kind of a guidebook on helping with your conversations on issues of race and racism in America. It's really designed to kind of help people get past some of the stumbling blocks that frequently kind of doom conversations on race um, for your everyday life in work, you know, at home, in your community to really get past those initial conflicts and to really find areas for change. So each chapter kind of tackles issues or questions that people kind of stumble upon regularly when talking about issues of race. The book came out in January of last year and it's been amazing. It's been really well received. It's been used in colleges all across the country, workshops all across the country. It's been amazing to hear from people about the difference it's made in their life. Um, and it's definitely a book that keeps going. It's been interesting to watch just steady use and, uh, you know, over the last almost two years now and to see it still be relevant and something that people are still recommending to each other and to see it really improving not only relationships, but, you know, actual situations that are impacting people of color across the country and even outside of the United States. And we should say that it came out in the paperback edition in September. Um, and you you wrote a new introduction for the paperback, which I thought was, or a preface um, for the paperback that I thought was interesting, um, where you kind of talk about some of the, I guess, some of the things that you sort of wish you had discussed in the original edition. Um, can you talk about a little bit about how you came to those realizations, I guess? Certainly. I mean, I think this is something that faces every writer is the things you write stay static, even though writers grow and change. Yeah. And, and often we grow and change because of what we write. And so writing a book on race, my first book, you know, even the process of talking about the book and traveling and hearing from people added to what I felt like, oh, I wish I had this, you know, I wish I could have included this. It changed, it added nuance to my own ideas of what I, I had written. And seeing it in use also showed some areas where I, you know, could have done more um, or better. And I think, you know, any writer always thinks they could do more. And I think any topic we write about, we could write multiple books about. But luckily, when you have a paperback, you get to at least give voice to some of that instead of just carrying it with you. And so it was really nice to have the opportunity to talk about what I would like to include. There were some things I learned that, you know, my own privilege had kind of stopped me from realizing of just care that I could have taken in some areas of the book, especially dealing with um, issues facing people of color that aren't black. That's my own lived mm -hmm. experience. Uh, but also things that I just didn't realize needed to be explained as explicitly as they did. 
And so, you know, seeing it um, and then getting another chance, I'm very grateful that it sold well enough to do, you know, to be able to have a paperback edition so that I could at least include some of those things and talk about it and let people know that I saw it. And, you know, I'm not the last person to write a book about race um, and certainly not the first. And it's always important, I think, for us to recognize what more we can do and what, what could happen next. I want to ask about um, cultural appropriation because we talk a, a ton about self-care on this podcast and self-care practices. And I think a lot of what we're seeing in self-care right now kind of is there is a lot of cultural appropriation going on. And so I was wondering if you could kind of speak about how we can bring you know more awareness to the ways in which a lot of self-care practices, especially you know, things that white women are doing are cultural appropriation. Yeah, certainly. I would say that, you know, part of what I, I, I think we should look at is a lot of the idea of self-care as it is popularized lives well within white supremacy, right? The idea to have this luxury time where you can set everything aside is something that many people of color never get to do. And I would say, especially women of color. And so a lot of the practices that are often adopted are not necessarily what we would call self-care, but are survival, right? A lot of the practices other cultures have come up with to get by, to live, um, or some things that are, you know, survival for communities, communal practices, religious practices, very important practices, are treated as luxury items, as retreats for white people. Mm. And it's important to recognize why that's problematic. And it's not problematic that anybody would want some luxury in their life. It is problematic to think that you can take something that was created for survival or for community or, you know, to hold an oppressed people together and not take any of the struggle or not do anything to reconcile your part in that oppression. And, and that's really where, where the issue lies for, I think, a lot of people. It's not that people want to, you know, practice yoga or, you know, go on a sweat or do any of these things. It's the fact that these things are things that are part of a culture that is being told they don't have a right to them themselves. And these things were created to balance, you know, and to fight off some of the oppression that white culture has perpetrated and or have been held on to in spite of oppression of white culture. And so then to have people who don't have to face any of that, who don't need these things for that purpose to say, Oh, that's nice. I want some of that without also thinking, what can I do to ease some of the burden that I'm imposing upon this culture? Um, or what can I do to make sure that whatever profits be made from this actually goes to the culture that created and maintains it um, is in itself just more colonialism and white supremacy. And so I think for me, the focus is not necessarily on the act itself, but in the imbalance behind it, right? The problem is the symptom is cultural appropriation. Right. The power imbalance ends up looking like cultural appropriation. And what I would love people to look at is the power imbalance, to look at where the problem lies, what makes it cultural appropriation and tackle that. So tackle the erasure of other cultures, 
you know, tackle um, the way in which capitalism cuts communities of color out of any profits from their own creations, you know, tackle the um, exploitation of communities of color, ta- tackle the centering of whiteness in media and pop culture, you know, all of these things that make cultural appropriation, that give it teeth. Those are the things I would like people to focus on. What oftentimes ends up happening instead is something that lies still within white supremacy, which is people want to list, well, what can I do if I can't, you know, if I can't do yoga, if I can't, you know, dress up like a geisha, if I can't do all these things, what can I do? And really what people are asking is, is how can I operate the same way I always have without feeling bad? And instead, if you, you know, people talk about how much they appreciate and love other cultures and they're celebrating other cultures. Well, celebrating other cultures means looking towards sustainment of that culture and showing appreciation for what was given by trying to not be a burden and to lift any burden that you've placed. And that's really what I want people to start focusing on. Yeah, I mean, kind of along those lines, I love all the actionable suggestions you have in your book for how people can fight systemic racism. Um, you write, you can try, you can try to link to the systemic effects of racism whenever you talk about racism. Um, can you kind of talk a little bit more about that and explain why this is so important? Yeah, I mean, it's important for a couple of reasons. One is that what people of color are suffering from is not the sentiment or lack of love from white people, right? And a lot of times we like to keep discussions on race and racism in the hearts, you know, feelings and love and um, area. And what, what it really is, is systems, systemic oppression. It's how those opinions and feelings can be manipulated by the system or the power that our systems give those feelings. So I can walk down the street and people can think whatever they want of me. And I'm fine with that. What does bother me is that if they decide to act on it and they decide to act on feelings about me because of the color of my skin, our entire system, our employment system, our government, our media will line up behind that action to make it more powerful. And that's really what impacts the lives of people of color. And so when we're talking about issues of race, it's important to recognize, A, that it's oftentimes more effective to get people to see why something is a problem that they're doing if they see how they're playing into something more systemic. But also, because that's really where the pain lies for people of color. And people of color don't feel heard when all they hear is, oh, I'm sorry if you felt bad when I did this. Because it's not, they're not saying I felt bad. You know, if I get talked over in a meeting by a white man, it's not just that it's rude to be talked over. It's because it plays into the general erasure and subjugation that black women face in workplaces across the country, right? It reinforces that pattern and it's part of a long trail of events to harm me. And it doesn't exist on its own. And so we need to tie to these larger issues, A, because that's where the real issue is. That's what people of color are talking about when they're talking about these situations. But also because people need to understand the full weight of what they're doing. And they need to also know that it's the systems that they need to attack. And that when they fail to look at their actions, they are supporting oppressive systems. It's not just, I made a mistake or I did what I would do with anyone else. It is, I supported a longstanding, harmful, racist system. So, you know, 
I, an example I think I use in the book is, you know, if you make a joke about people of color being late in the office, what you're actually doing is not just making a joke. You are upholding a stereotype that makes black people less likely to be hired for jobs. And that because we have racist systems that allow black people to be judged in mass, um, that you know, are favor negative stereotypes that want to find reasons to hold white employees above employees of color, then you, what you're saying is no longer just a joke. And the harm that the brunt of that joke feels, which is not just the black person you're talking about, but every black person in an office or black person who would work in that office um, is larger than just a few words. And that's really why we have these conversations. And I think that's why it's important. I think everyone should know, especially white people should know the broader impact of what they're doing because people of color are meant to feel that every single day. We feel the full weight of racist actions. That's why we spend so much time focusing on things like microaggressions because there's nothing micro about them because they play into a large system that is crushing people. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad, they're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. Mm. Okay. Which is okay. I know. visible on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like crappiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel. I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, Mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their Mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here Mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving. That sun is coming at us at all times. One Skin believes the purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When we're talking about these systems and just kind of thinking about topics that come up a lot on our show, which are like skincare, makeup, this kind of larger wellness industry, how can we work toward anti-racism when it comes to these things as well? I mean, when we're talking about things like skincare and makeup, one is just full accessibility, right? Um, I'm a black woman who loves skincare, loves makeup, and I'm a light-skinned black woman. And the amount of products that aren't made for me, the amount of um, the lack of concern in many conversations around skincare, cosmetics, and the beauty industry in general that erase me and definitely erase people who are darker than me, or even who have skin undertones different than mine, or skin needs different than mine, right? Um, is shocking for this day and age. And looking at, you know, we not only have different skin tones, different hair textures, we have often different skin needs, we're often more sensitive to different ingredients, and also looking at the sourcing and the profit model of many of these industries, right? Some of these ingredients are sourced from areas that harm communities of color. Um, Oftentimes, the businesses themselves practice the erasure of people of color, don't hire people of color, exploit traditional cultural practices for profit while not sharing any of that profit with the communities that they take from, especially things like, you know, the U.S. versions of K-beauty, things like that. Um, and so it's important to look and say, really, you know, am I representing everyone here? Am I open to everyone here? Is this segment something that, you know, does harm to a minority population? Is this something that's useful for everyone? What can I add? What do I need to take away to really make this something that people can really be a part of? And a lot of people don't think about that when it comes to beauty, which to me is is actually shocking because I find communities of color, studies have shown time and time again that, you know, primarily women of color, but people of all genders of color spend more on beauty and, you know, what people would call self-care products um, than white women do. And yet we're continuously ignored and and underserved. You make a great point in the book, too, just about hair and talking about how just conversations about hair is centered on white hair. And you, you, a woman of color might know every, you know, every product and everything available for white hair, but white women have no idea about what your hair might need or what products might appeal to you. And had just that conversation alone is, is happening centered in whiteness. Yes, definitely. And it's something that, you know, it always, you know, I live in a majority white area in Seattle, right? The places where, even today where I can shop for hair products are very limited. But you'll hear comments even in this day and age, people are shocked what, you know, you put grease in your hair, you do what, why? Um, a few years ago, people used to laugh at how rarely black women wash their hair. And now, of course, it's all the rage to, you know, co-wash, which is something that we've been doing 
forever to maintain moisture in our hair, you know, um, but we're continu continuously erased. And then when we are seen, it's really only in an exploitative way. What practices we've been doing for a long time that we've come up with on our own, that people come and take and make massive profits off of. There's, you know, satin bonnets are the thing right now. And I was laughing seeing these satin bonnets being sold for $100, which black women have been using forever to keep their hair soft and keep it from breaking at night. And, you know, we buy them for $4 at the beauty supply store. And so it's just... It's interesting to me because I think all of this idea, it also breeds this exotification. Part of the reason why people always want to touch my hair is because they have absolutely no familiar with it because it is treated as other. It's not treated as normal. It's not something you would consider writing about in mainstream beauty magazines. It's not something that you would spend a lot of time with in film or television. And so then people treated as something that's exotic when it's, you know, there are more people of color in this planet than white people. And we have had hair as long as we've existed, you know, and there's nothing exotic about our hair and, you know, keeping it, treating it like this mystery and something that you have to explore instead of just respect is another facet of white supremacy. One of the one of the major themes of your book, um, it seemed to me, was kind of getting people to well, getting people to understand their privilege, um, and also kind of anticipating the responses that people might have when they are embarking on these conversations. Um, and I I really liked what you had to say about the privilege checklist, um, and I also just wanted to read this quote from your book that really resonated with me um, about checking your privilege, which is, we don't want to think that we are harming others. We don't want to believe, we do not want to believe that we do not deserve everything we have. And we do not want to think of ourselves as ignorant of how our world works. When somebody asks you to check your privilege, they are asking you to pause and consider how the advantages you've had in life are contributing to your opinions and actions and how the lack of disadvantages in certain areas is keeping you from fully understanding the struggles others are facing and may in fact be contributing to those struggles. Um, and I was just hoping you could speak to that a little bit. Um, if people are kind of wanting to have these conversations with people in their lives, um, how they can, I guess, get people to check their privilege. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say if you want people to check their privilege, first start with checking your own. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I think everybody can do, right? This is something that I have to do regularly. Mm -hmm. Our privilege is not static. Um, it, it differs not only, you know, year by year as our situation changes, but it differs depending on what room we're in. You know, and being aware is just your way of trying to reduce the risk of doing harm to others. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to get comfortable with that yourself and to come to conversations on privilege with the knowledge that you yourself have privilege that you are not aware of privilege that is stopping you from fully living your values and helping to the extent that you want to. And, you know, it is causing you to do harm. And we all have to know that, that we, no matter how much time we spend working on this, we have some 
unchecked privilege out there that is causing us to do harm to others. Because when we tell other people to check their privilege, we have to know that we are one heartbeat away from someone telling us to check Mm -hmm. ours. And we have to have that kind of generosity in mind when we talk about it. Um, But what I would say is, you know, trying to, when you're trying to get someone to, I think sometimes it helps to say why. Mm. And to say, you know, I need you to understand you're not, you know, you're not seeing this. There is a lived experience that you're not understanding here. Your lived experience, regardless of your intentions, is stopping you from seeing some a lived experience that's different from your own. It's stopping you from understanding an oppression that you haven't faced. And, you know, it is hard to get people to pause and take time with that. But I find that one of the most powerful things we can do is just to model it ourselves. Mm. I try to always be as public as possible when I discover I've done something that does harm. And I try to be as accountable as possible. And I do that because A, it's the right thing to do because people I've harmed deserve to know that, you know, I see what I've done and that I am holding myself responsible. But also because other people need to see that you won't die. You know, that it really won't kill you. And I find oftentimes just bringing my own, you know, awareness into the room and my own struggle into the room and letting people know that I'm working on it means that people are more likely to hear me when I say the same thing to them. But if they never hear me admit that I've been wrong or that I've done harm or that, you know, my privilege had stopped me from fully seeing a situation. If they never see me reflect or ask questions or say, I don't know, then, you know, they're going to feel shamed in a way that is unnecessary when I say that they need to stop and reflect and see. Uh, I'm not anti-shame, but there's something very dishonest about the way in which people often pretend that they've never been wrong when they ask other people to do their work. Like they've never had to do that work themselves. And we all have our work to do. And I think that instead of, you know, trying to pretend like we've always been perfect or to use the fact that everyone messes up as an excuse to not do anything, we should instead all be trying to set examples of, you know, open quests for the harm we've done and open growth and welcome growth and what true accountability looks like. We should be striving to show that, you know, striving to practice that. So that way, when we need, we need that from others, they will feel safer giving it to us. And, you know, even if they don't act, we know it it becomes more obvious that they need to. (laughs) And, you know, other people who are witnessing that situation know they have a choice, that they could be acting out of the care they say they have and seeking to do less harm, or they could be closing around their privilege and refusing to. And you can really only see those two choices when you show what it looks like to make those choices. Why do you think these conversations make people so defensive? I mean, because we're good people. The only people I think who never get defensive about these conversations are scary people who don't actually feel bad, right? Right, Yeah, right. Um, (laughs) I don't want to meet the person who just shrugs. It's like, cool, when you tell them (laughs) they've done harm, you know? Yeah. Um, We are good people, however that's defined, 
who want to do good. We want to help instead of hurt. And to be told that you've hurt someone you care about is a really painful thing. And the first thing you want to do is to make it not true, (laughs) you know, because no matter what, that's even if you get for, you know, start doing the work to fix it, you still have to live with the fact you've done harm. You can't erase that harm if you let it hit you. And so it's a natural instinct for people who care to first go, wait, 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 wait. Maybe it's not true. <laughs> you know, maybe it's not me. Maybe I'm still just as good and kind as I, as I thought I was. Maybe I haven't done harm. Maybe I haven't hurt someone I care about. And it's important, um, to pause and realize that's a natural reaction, but it's not helpful. Right. Mm-hmm. And that even the denial itself can compound harm. And that if you really are the person you think you are, all that we are is what we strive to be. Right. It's not the image you carry of yourself. It's the work you do. And so that means that when someone gives you an opportunity to show that you're not doing the work in a certain area, that you need to pause and recognize it as an opportunity. Because no matter how we see ourselves, the only true measure of our quote-unquote goodness is the impact we have on the lives of others. And once you know that there's a chance you've been doing something that does harm, There is no amount, you can deny it, you can refuse to see it, but it's still happening. And we have to learn how to process all of those natural reactions as quickly as possible so we can get past that and get to the work and get to the listening and the figuring out what you need to do to make it right or to make sure it doesn't happen again. And so I don't think we reach a point where it ever stops hurting to find out you've harmed someone. I don't want to be the person who doesn't have that twinge, who wishes it wasn't true when I find out I've hurt someone. Mm. Uh, because when I do, that means I don't care. But I, I've learned how to quickly absorb that blow, recognize it's still not about me, and that I'm being given an opportunity to do better and move past the part that's not useful to the person I've harmed and get to the part that is, which is hearing, listening, and figuring out what you need to do to fix it. So I guess for better and for worse, a lot of these conversations take place on social media, um, particularly on Facebook and Twitter. Um, And you talk in your book about tone policing. And I was just hoping you could discuss kind of what is it, first of all, and why does it happen so much? Um, I think especially on Facebook. Yeah, I mean, tone policing happens everywhere. And I will say, like, even right now, we can see this in the election, right? The way in Mm -hmm. which people of color are really being policed for their language or being told they're too aggressive if they ask tough questions. Um, It's really it's couched in white supremacy and it's the idea that we have to curry favor with whiteness in order to be heard and in order to get our rights. And that's nothing but more white supremacy. And part of it is comes from times when things were much worse, right? When the cost of not begging, of not being polite, of not trying to find a way to sneak things in was very violent. But 
It is also just the way in which white supremacy maintains itself. It's important to recognize that when telling people who've been harmed, who are actively being harmed, that you will only hear about the harm done if it's said to you politely, if you're comfortable, you know, if you feel safe, um, is a way of saying, I have the right to judge whether or not you deserve to be hurt. Mm. I have the right to deem whether or not your complaints are valid because I am above you. And whether or not people want to admit that's what they think, it is. Because the truth is, is that none of us have the right to say that we get to judge someone's basic humanity, that we get to decide whether or not someone gets to be heard, whether or not they get to feel safe and secure and their humanity gets to be recognized because we are all human beings. We are not placed above each other. And to say that you're not going to hear about these fundamental rights unless someone is sweet and kind, unless you like them, unless you approve of their approach means that you think you're in a position to approve. Mm. And it's fundamentally disempowering. It's a way of ensuring that white supremacy stays within our movements any time that those requirements are enforced and it needs to be called out because it's incredibly dangerous because there will always be a time and a place where things are worth being angry about, where mm. things are worth shouting about, where the immediate benefits to whiteness won't be seen for deconstructing parts of white supremacy. And we need to recognize that we still go forward anyways because it's the right thing to do because we believe in justice and because, because the humanity of people of color is non-negotiable. And anytime that we say it is negotiable, anytime we say it needs approval, we undermine that. And that's why it, it is, it is an issue that's beyond how it deflects, how it slows. It is inherently dangerous to the fight against oppression. Ijom, I want to ask you, because you mentioned makeup earlier and your love of makeup, and I follow you on Instagram, and I noticed you are organizing your makeup. And I'm just curious if you could speak to what makeup means to you personally as a practice of self-care and self-love, what the reception has been when you talk about it online, and what it kind of how it kind of plays out in your day-to-day and, and your self-expression. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, it's interesting for me. I think I have always loved makeup. Even, it, you know, when I was a little kid, I used to like sneak a little makeup kit to school to put on at recess, even when I wasn't allowed to wear makeup. And my mom, you know, when we were at home would always let me, you know, dress up and, you know, do whatever I wanted. And I've always loved art. And what was just something I always loved turned into I guess kind of what we would call self-care as my work intensified, you know, I do a lot of hard, sometimes brutal work, um, investigating, you know, some of the, the real horrors of racism and white supremacy in America and taking some time to just focus on myself and celebrating myself, celebrating features that white America doesn't necessarily think are beautiful. Um, creating, you know, owning my own face and saying, you know, it gets to be what I want it to be. Um, 
And as a black woman, taking time for myself, which I think a lot of times people think black women don't have a right to, we're supposed to always be working in service of others, is something that kind of just keeps me going. And I really enjoy it. It's definitely a part, a ritual um, that kind of keeps me connected to myself. And it's interesting because I share it because it's something I create and I'm proud of it. I like it a lot. Um, you know, it's t- something I put time and effort into. And I was not expecting it to be something that would really pick up with people. But I would say, you know, almost as many people talk to me about how much they love my makeup as they talk to me about how much they love my writing. And there's something that people, I think that for, especially for many women are told that they're not supposed to take time for themselves, that there's something wrong with spending time celebrating themselves, especially, you know, celebrating their face and that you have to have a certain face that, or that you have to lack, you know, intellect in order for that to be something you want to do, that you can't be a serious person, that you can't care about women's rights, that you can't care about any serious issues if you also care about putting makeup on. And people talk to me about what it means to see that and how shocking it is to get that regular reminder, which to me was just, you know, it wasn't, you know, it was surprising, but it makes sense. And there's Pressure. Sometimes people reply to me and say, you know, I want to hear what you have to say. I don't want to see your makeup. And I'm like, cool, but you don't pay my bills. So, you know, (laughs) you're not paying for the makeup or the words. Um, So you don't really have a say here. And and I'm a free black woman. I get to do what I want. Um, And but mostly it's people who just really appreciate seeing that. They know I do it for myself because they know most of the time no one ever sees me in public because I'm a total hermit. I live the rather life where, you know, I barely get out of pajamas. I'm working all day and all night. But I take the time to put on a full face of makeup because I like it because it's fun. And I don't know. People like to see a regular dose of a black woman doing something for her just for her own enjoyment every single, you know, almost every single day. And I think it gives people inspiration, um, a sense of freedom that whatever their thing is, because not everyone likes makeup. I've, there's plenty of, um, you know, I have a friend who's this, you know, bearded white dude who I don't think has ever worn makeup a day in his life. And anytime I do, sometimes I'll do little videos while I'm putting makeup on talking about, politics while I'm putting makeup on and he logs on every time he's like I just love seeing someone who's known for doing something doing something completely different because it's what they want to do and it just makes me happy and lets me know that sort of freedom exists and I think that whatever we can do to you know whatever your thing is that you love to do just because you love to do it you know I think that you should and you should be proud of it and you should make excuses up for it. And so this is my thing. Well, I love, I love, I love watching it on Instagram. I will tell you. Um, Ijama, Ijama, it's been so nice to have you on the podcast. Um, your book is available anywhere and everywhere. So you want to talk about race. Um, but where else can our listeners find you online? Uh, you know, primarily social media. You can, everything's under my name. You want to find me on Twitter? It's under Ijoma Oluo. You want to find me on Facebook? Ijoma Oluo. You want to see my makeup on Instagram? It's all Ijoma Oluo. So, um, just Google my name, 
I figure it's a it's a fun meme to learn, and once you've learned it, you shouldn't have to learn anymore. <laughs> and you can find me everywhere there. And are you working on a second book? I am. Yeah. So I'm working on a book that's kind of a history of uh, white male identity in America. And hopefully then it will be my last book I write about whiteness for a very long time. Well, I look forward to it. Thank you so much for Thank being you, on Gemma. the podcast. We really appreciate it. It was such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. You Stay too. To you. Bye. <sighs> well, Kate, I'm glad we got to talk about this stuff. I am too. Um, and we will keep talking about it. And yep. we really appreciate your um, feedback and thoughts. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Um, our email is forever 35 podcast at gmail.com. Sometimes I forget. Yes. <laughs> and our voicemail is 781-591-0390. And our podcast is hosted and produced by me, Dory Shafrir, and you, Kate Spencer. And produced and edited by Sammy Junio. And Sam Reed is our assistant. And we will talk to you all on Friday. Thanks. Bye.